0: Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz Fizz Podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 145, and today's guest is Paul Martini, CEO and co-founder of iBoss. The best part of hosting the VentureFizz Fizz Podcast is getting a chance to talk to some of the most intelligent and driven entrepreneurs in the tech scene. Paul definitely fits the bill on both accounts. He is a highly accomplished technologist who earlier in his career actually worked on the broadband network infrastructure that we would all later know as the cloud. Paul, along with his twin brother Peter, founded iBoss to address security issues for a mobile workforce. The problem is that traditional security appliances were ineffective at protecting a cloud-first and mobile world. The iBoss cloud has solved this problem by providing organizations and their employees secure access to the internet on any device from any location in the cloud. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like what it's like founding and running a company with your twin brother, a deep dive into the early foundation of Paul's career and the various technical initiatives he worked on, the full background story in iBoss and all the details on their platform, why they decided to move the company's headquarters to Boston, advice for scaling a venture-backed company, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, if you are listening to this podcast, then it is highly likely that you are interested in the founder journey and lessons learned around building companies. So please make sure you don't miss any future episodes by subscribing to the VentureFizz podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or SoundCloud. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Paul. Paul, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Good to be here, Keith.
0: So, Paul, we're we're gonna talk a lot about iBoss and all the great things you guys are up to. But before we get into that, I have to ask you a question because I think it's very, very rare that startups have been built by twin brothers operating the company. What's it like running a, a company with your twin brother?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I get that question all the time. But uh, we're fraternal twins, so you know we don't look alike, but our personalities are also pretty different. And at the same time, they're the same. So like the underpinning is the same. But it's um, it's actually a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's nice to have a completely different perspective. Um, obviously, there's uh, a lot of trust there as well. so uh, but being able to you know we tackle different parts of the business um, and being able to bounce ideas off each other. Um, and it's worked out really well. um he's uh, he's on the west coast. I'm on the east coast. and so it's an interesting thing, but also a very powerful thing as well.
0: That's awesome. So so when did you start actually getting deep into technology, like, you know, actually coding? And then you went on to, to study, like, what'd you study at UCAL San Diego?
1: Yeah. So, you know, so from a technology point of view, my whole life, as far as I can remember, has been around coding and technology. Right. And so, you know, UCSD is where, um, uh, you know, that's where I went into school for college. I also, um, you know, I worked full time. I was both splitting my time between research labs, as well as working in industry as well. So I was you know, designing FPGAs, uh, ASICs, uh, coding, you know, while I went to school. Because
0: you were actually also working early on with what is known as the cloud, right? So you, at that point in time, it was like a broadband network infrastructure type of technology that ended up being the formation of what we refer to as the cloud.
1: Yeah, definitely. One of the things I think that's interesting, especially in, in our space is, you know, you put a lot of fluff around technology or, you know, marketing spin and stuff like that. But fundamentally, there's science behind it that either it either works or it doesn't. Right. And, and um, it's also an art. Right. So you're kind of mixing science with art to form new capabilities. And, you know, when I when I think about the beginning of broadband and that's actually at Copper Mountain Networks is where I really spent a lot of time working on. At the time, it was called Frame Relay. But really, there were T1s, so it was one megabit per second. I remember, you know, if you get a download at 40 kilobytes per second, that was blazing fast, you know. Right. You couldn't believe, you know, that's the, that's the network you wanted to be yeah. on, you know. Right. The first T1s that came out, you know, that that was the beginning of like a 100 kilobyte download or 50 kilobyte downloads. Because prior, was, it was just up modems, you know, 56 kilobits per second mm. was fast. So, right. I, d- I spent a lot of time designing the infrastructure that became the cloud infrastructure. Uh, which was back end used by like large telcos to move packets around, right? And so the initial designs were, you know, they were, I did the one megabit per second type of design and then it went to bonded T1s, which was like three or four megabits per second and then 12 megabit. And so we, it, was, it was just an interesting time because it was the beginning really of the cloud. I mean, that's uh, without connectivity there, the cloud wouldn't be possible. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I spent a lot of time thinking about I like to like push the limits on you know that's kind of how I at least I test my math equations right is I push them to infinity and see if they blow up and so I figured you know what happens when uh, bandwidth gets to a thousand megabits per second so a gig per second and you know we had to, we had, we would have debates about that as we were doing these designs and stuff to say you, you can't read off of a hard drive that fast like how would you possibly be able to send traffic to other computers over the air or over wires that way right so uh, interestingly enough now we look at it and and we say a thousand gigabit per second. Right, so <laughs> it's the same question, but just it's just like a, so much you know times a a, a factor of a thousand. You know, it's so so it's pretty interesting. But you know, I think that just thinking about kind of not things as they stand today, but what things are going to look like. You know, maybe five years, maybe ten years from now, and then you know you can't you don't really know all the answers because anything is possible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's some fundamental things that at least we foundationally believe. Are required kind of like the ingredients to make everything possible for us is bandwidth and connectivity. But anyways, um, at uh my networks. It was just a lot of um, uh, It's not just how do you move packets around. How do you how do you do high availability. Right. So like now, you know, we take it for granted, you know, you turn the lights on the lights turn on, but there's a lot of things that go behind the same for internet internet works it just assumed that it's going to work, but to make that happen without interruption, high availability, very complicated. And then to also thinking about things like, about bandwidth growth and the way we would get faster speeds is we would make fast uh, different chip designs, um, faster circuit boards, it was all about hardware, right? How do, we do, how do we do things bigger? And you realize like, there's only so much you can get out of a checkout lane, you know, mm-hmm. um, at a store, right? You need more lanes. Mm-hmm. And so the, even the concepts of like horizontal scaling, you know, that containerization, microservices like, that's all stemmed from fundamental principles of like, um, science, you know, like dividing conquer is always going to be big, you know, more things is always better possibly than one big thing, you know? So that's kind of where a lot of the foundation came from early on. Uh, just thinking about networks, thinking about how they're connected and things like that.
0: And then you went off to uh, start your own engineering firm after that, right?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was myself and a few guys from, um, Stanford, uh, they're mechat- mechatronics guys. Actually, I'm still really close friends uh, with them really brilliant guys as well i mean you know when you have the you have a mix of computer science computer engineering and then uh moving parts and kind of you know basically robotics today in a sense you know basically uh it was around designing connected things for companies and and organizations and the military so we do anything from you know underway replenishment which is when the navy ships are out at sea you know we're used to robotics now but you know if you think about this you know 20 years ago they would to get uh, just food and goods that are very heavy from one ship to another. And when they're out, when these uh, ships are out at sea, you know, it's da- it damages the ships. It's all manual. So making, you know, measuring the ocean and using automation and robotics to get the goods onto the ship. And then uh, anything from that to uh, at the time, uh, 3D printing. So sintering. This is before like the home. You know, like you know, you can get your own 3D printer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the only way to do it was very, very expensive, large machines, uh, but laser sintering. Uh, of powder and stuff like that, which is popular now, uh, but also uh, connected things was also really big for us. So any any um, kind of co- uh, complex digital connected system uh, for a variety of um, customers, you know, HP and, and others uh, in the military, uh, but it, but it really also it was an engineering services firm. So anything someone could come up with, any idea, it was really our job to create. But that that company grew quite a bit to to several hundred employees, and actually it's grown since then. Um even more so um, globally through like Singapore and other other places like that. but it was definitely a good a great foundation of like getting the most premium engineering resources of different types and calibers and stuff like that, and then seeing if you could make something that hasn't been done yet, you know uh, it, it, is it possible to create that and do that you know under you know, under budget and on time, which is pretty pretty hard to do.
0: Wasn't one of those projects like building the prototype for the, uh, the cameras you see hovering above the, the play on for the NFL. Like when you see those cameras sliding across and you get that kind of over the top view of the play
1: yeah yeah definitely, and it's funny now it's a lot of stuff we take for granted right that that right. stuff was hundred percent brand new and i was I was watching a college football game, and then I'm like hey, the, the view like it was actually like uh, the cameras were just different right, but now you're looking at you know nFL games and it's you're like on the field, you know <laughs> like, you're <laughs> like behind the, you know, it's almost better than going to the actual live game itself, you know so so yeah no, but designing like automation and and things like that that actually affect people's life day to day, you know, and every day. So it's, it's really, you know, kind of fun to be part of shaping kind of like the future that then eventually becomes, you know, more common uh, and mainstream. Uh, But to be able to have some part in that, you know, those are, those are huge efforts, but have some part in that is always good.
0: Well, let's talk about iBoss. You know, what led you and your brother down the path of seeing that there was, uh, you know, something that needed to be solved and build a company around?
1: yeah, I mean, look, it's it started early, right, with connected things, but you know i I um passionately love that idea that devices could talk to each other, right? yeah, I mean that's it's communication uh, through computers and actually connecting people right to each other and stuff like that. So I always believed in you know connectivity itself is like one of the it's the fabric that makes everything happen. So like without connectivity, you couldn't the cloud wouldn't exist. I mean, you wouldn't be able to connect users to, Uh, cloud applications or Facebook and things like that, right? So really, I knew that we were going to do something and I I was going to be involved with something that had to do with connected things and connecting things to each other, right? And then the other, but the other part of it is because of really understanding Ethernet frames and packets and like how those things all work and I'm still fluent today. So I'm very close to that under, you know, just staying really close to technology itself. because I think that's really important. Um, But I knew that it would be founded in that. and I also like, you know, as we thought about with the technology, we thought that this would be a big problem, right? I mean, if you think about, you know, the, where the world that we lived in at the time, it took us, you know, we were dark for a long time, five or six years just designing and and building the, the cloud, right? Uh, but what we and you know, we thought it would take three years, it took six or seven to get it done. But it takes, you know, usually it's longer than you expect, especially, um, you know, when you're coming up with something new, you know? But but one of the things that we thought would be really challenging was we had this no idea that you know what if your computer like what if you your computer could be in your hand I remember having the conversation with um, some guys that were that had been with us since early on and I we had a, what had happened is we, we even we had this picture frame they don't even have these anymore because you have iPads now but there was a digital picture frame where you could. You know you could have a you know put your pictures in a digital form they weren't really connected to anything but you could try to connect them and stuff and i said you know it would be really interesting if this one day would be your handheld computer you know you wouldn't be you know especially for organizations that rely on um you know employees and, and users to like physically be on their network in order to secure their communication you know look for malware ransomware and stuff like that what if you know if you if this device is in your hands you could connect to any network. So it's not like you can't force these users there. Plus they're going to leave the building. That's going to be a problem. Right. right. So, you know, as we looked at these, like we've, we thought these, there were these big drivers that were beyond our control beyond anybody's control. Cause then there were, we felt that there was inevitable, like this would happen anyway, sort of like uh, what Uber's did to taxis, you know, it's like, it's the transportation's always been around, but it's just being done in a different way. I'd say communication's always been around. We're just doing it in a different way. Right. Digitally. And so, You know, we had a mobility kick in. Then the then the iPhone. I you know, there's people I talk to that think the iPhone's been around forever, but it's hard to believe it's you know, 2009, 2000. That was the beginning of the iPhone, just 10 years ago. Look look at where we're at today, right? We figure you know, we have we have um, uh, users that that um, can be anywhere. They have devices that are no longer desktop towers or PCs, right? And and so those that means that they can kind of use them anywhere now uh, outside of the traditional like four walls of a building, and um, and then we saw like okay if this if that's the case if they're not on a trusted network like a physical network you control, encryption is going to have to increase because at the time it was only twenty percent of the traffic was HTTPS everything else was literally you can sniff uh, I, t- I actually did this it was a there was a um, early early on there was a they wanted a, an audit on a site I said yeah, I'll I'll take a look right. And I, it was sensitive. And rare. I did a packet capture within like 30 seconds. I had the pass the main passwords to the site Which <laughs> they couldn't believe you know that it had happened But you know encryption was HTTPS was only like a fraction of the sites. Like having a, a secure site was like a, a Luxury it wasn't a mandatory thing, right? But you know you needed encrypted connections because if people are outside your you know They're mobile and they're on untrusted networks. You have to encrypt their data or else, as people surf these sites, they're going to lose their passwords, right? So it has to have. It needs to go to 100%. Our measurement's 91% now. So now, as a, now we're thinking, now we put our hat on as a security administrator, right? Say, okay, I need to prevent ransomware files from making it to the devices. Um, you know, I need to make sure that they don't. Da- there's no data loss, like there's data hijacking and stuff, right? But the problem is like. I can't force them to be in my building, and I can't force them to be on my the network that I'm paying for. Like I own that, and the traffic that I need to look at is encrypted. It's HTTPS, right? That makes it more challenging. How am I going to look at the content and look at the you know zip files that might be ransomware from like Russia or somewhere else, right? And then and then now uh, with the the mobility, you have these users connecting to the business applications, which used to be inside the data center, but the, the applications all moved. Salesforce and you know, SharePoint, now Office 365, which is a big driver. So now you have users that are mobile accessing applications that are outside your data center, consuming tons and tons of bandwidth, which I know, you know, when you think about uh, appliances, any appliance, network servers, or in our particular case, firewalls and proxies, network security appliances, they have a theoretical throughput. There's only so much data that can go through these appliances, right? So, So, like, that's the antithesis of, like, that appliance hates that. It doesn't want more bandwidth. It doesn't want encrypted traffic because it has to then open up that traffic, which requires a lot of CPU. Mobility is tough because the appliance is installed somewhere, but not where the people are. Right? They're they're at home. They're not in the office. Right? And so all the things that make physical appliances um, not ideal for applications. Right? An application lives in the cloud. It, the same thing happened to these firewalls and proxies. It's like, but you know, administrators, we found is like, okay, we'll send all the data back to the data center. Then users complain that it's people are saying it's too slow or, you know, like they're copying a SharePoint file and it's taking an hour it Should take mm-hmm. them five minutes or less or a minute. Right? right. And, um, and so, so we felt, you know, there's a, the fundamental need for network security to move to the cloud, you know, cloud security. It was ine- it's inevitable because, you know, as IT administrator or security administrator, I want to sleep at night. I don't want to worry about whether bandwidth is going to double the next, you know, it's going to go from a gig to five gig because, if I'm worried about it and I don't want that to happen, you know, I'm basically saying that I want my users to be less productive. <laughs> That's not good. How much is that costing, right? Or I want, them to, I want users to have a poor experience. You know, and, and the reasons you care about that is because you're worried about the size of an appliance or having to purchase appliances. So we think like, you know, the, naturally that the real, and, and we think the better answer is that it's been, increase the bandwidth, it shouldn't be your problem. Solve a cloud problem, so you have to solve a cloud problem with a cloud solution. And so that's why when we designed, it's like network security needs to live in the cloud as well. And then, and actually the, the um, it's, you know, we see this interesting kind of dilemma as well, where, you know, IT people um, may sometimes, and we don't see it as much, but feel like, well, what does that mean for my job? And, you know, I'm, I'm used to these firewalls, but it's actually the reality is that it's not, that job doesn't go anywhere. I mean, actually that you're just repurposed what you're doing t- instead of about racking and stacking hardware, what you're doing is managing security policies, which we think, you know, like, uh, that which is what you should be doing anyways. And so um and actually getting skills like cloud skills and stuff like that, which um, you know, the the IT administrators and security administrators, it's a very valuable asset. I mean just the fundamentals aren't different. Packets aren't different. Connectivity's not all the things that they know that require a lot of skills, those are the foundations of of every of every of everything, right? It's just that you're just not gonna get the exercise of wrecking and stacking equipment. So so that's like kind of how we you know it's a long a long way, but mm-hmm. but basically this evolution of like you know, like four or five critical drivers that are outside of our control, bandwidth, encrypted traffic, mobility, cloud application use, and then say, okay, how do we play our part to like glue it all together, right? And be that secure gateway, that secure connectivity to
0: all of this. So what was that like? Like you talked about the first six years, you were heads down building kind of the solution and product. So what's that like? And you know, like, I mean, I think you, you were issued over 100 patents. So it must be like, Gratifying yet very tedious at the same time to be building something that long yet not necessarily having a full go-to-market approach yet
1: Yeah, actually so now we're at actually almost 200 patents now. So hundred wow, and uh, okay. <laughs> hundred yeah, 135 135 issued patents and a hundred and like 95 issued and pending, you know? wow. so it's <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's pretty significant uh, but you know, I think that uh, part of it is I think to build something of substance Requires focus, patience, right? And because I think you could give up too early, um, and and also like, look, the area that we're we're looking to solve, we already knew that this is a major area. Like, it's, it's, it's a big area. It's not something that like an app or something we can whip out really quick. This right. is this is critical critical connectivity. At the time that we were fortunate, because at the time it was YouTube at best, people watching videos but today it's your cloud applications. So, you know, if that goes down, I mean, your business is down, right? And so, um, but, you know, really, really, I think the big part was, because, you know, we've, we've also been, you know, during this time, we also went through the 2009 recession, you know, the big mm-hmm. crisis. We were also, I mean, I was part of the 2000 as well. I was in the tech space designing stuff and, you know, you see the the difference from all of this stuff. So you got to see these cycles as well, but it's it's also like not getting distracted, right? Because there's always like, someone had you know there's some big idea or something else It just seems like the grass is greener especially when things are you know just being built and stuff like that to really just have the patience and the and the belief that something is going to be away even when like we talk about cloud now but people thought we were crazy like actually we have a, there's an article in in uh, P, there's an article out in PC Mag, which you know when magazines used to you know used to read the magazines and stuff and it said they asked me like they said well, where's this where's all this stuff like where you know where's the security and, I, and they're like, I was, it's like the core, we said it's on the backbone, right? Like the word cloud hadn't been invented. They said, well, they go and publish in the magazine, they say it's, you know, they're building technology that's in the center of the internet. And I was like, there is no, there really there really is, there is no, there really is no center to the internet, but you know, the way that they had described it, now, that, now we call it the cloud. So that was just, so one of the fortunate things, it's much easier to say, look, well, we built cloud technology versus technology that sits in the center of the internet. You know, I have to tell a few people where, where the center, that there is no center to the internet, it gets pretty old pretty fast.
0: Well, I guess the, the great news when you build something that complex, the defensibility, n- never mind all the patents you have, is obviously uh, way in your favor. So, what's what's the current scope of your company like in terms of scale of employees and growth plans ahead?
1: Yeah, so you know it's been phenomenal. I mean, we're we're servicing organizations fully that are Fortune five, Fortune fifty, Fortune one hundred, right across all verticals like finance, insurance. Uh, we've been now through the big um, Jedi, JEDI contract with the government. I mean, we're doing stuff like co- secure connectivity for the government, I mean, for military, uh, like the Air Force and stuff. Wow. And so it's um, it's been remarkable. I mean, just the the sheer number and scope and size. You know, we believe that we would be the gateway to the cloud, right, that we would be able to provide basically your first and last line of defense. Like if there's going to be ransomware, it's going to hit us first. We'll grab that before we hand it off. And safer data loss and now we're baked into you know over 3,000 uh organizations that uh to rely on us every single day but um but it's been been remarkable and actually um you know the other thing is the cloud revolution was kind of here but now it's like really here right it's it's the way of the future because no vendors are shipping cds anymore you know they're designing software in sas delivered in the cloud so you know, I, I think that it's nice that everybody's kind of aligned that that's where the, the future is going to go. So you, you can have uh, bigger bigger conversations around that. Uh, but we've been growing substantially um, across the board. And um, you know the, the the future for us, we've done some major announcements. Um, you know, a few weeks ago we announced uh, with FireEye. Uh, they're like is the threat intelligence, the threat research. They do virtually every breach you can think of any major breach they're in it right and so we, we did this partnership where we got that technology of FireEyes technology which is services virtually every single fortune 2000 and we SaaSified it it actually is delivered in the cloud now the same with with our technology so now any user instead of you know you don't have to have millions and millions of dollars to buy this gear you can be even a smaller organization and connect to the service and it has all the same, it's exactly the same capabilities. Mm-hmm. So we did these big announcements with FireEye. we're gonna do a big announcement with uh, Microsoft, uh, securing uh, cloud infrastructure and stuff like that. But you know, our, I think our, as we look at the future, we believe that the shift, the found, foundational shift of appliances, firewalls and proxies, network security appliances, that's, we're kind of like tor- still towards the beginning of that, right? So like we feel all of that is gonna, it's not that the need is going to go away, then the need is still there for, for preventing malware detecting data loss. But the way you're going to get it is different. It's not going to be purchasing a bigger firewall box. It's going to be much like Netflix is to DVD players, right? It's the same movie, but you're watching it instantly, like right now, right? Delivered. And so, um, but at the same time, we see some of the appliance vendors as well. They're struggling, you know, they're trying to figure out how to get the cloud. So we're finding ways where our technology we have we call the, we have patents around this thing called containerization for this purpose where we can containerize their technology and deliver it in the cloud or like over pretty virtually overnight pretty quickly so being able to bridge a lot of this technology back to the cloud so we see we see ourselves sort of sitting in the middle of this consolidation of like the best malware engines the best feeds the best log analytics the best original technology inside of an appliance but being able to deliver that in the cloud and allow uh, to choose what they want you know uh, but with that a lot obviously comes a lot of potential for additional you know additional growth um and i feel like we're we're really we're not creating i wouldn't say we're creating a market like a need right you need this new uh cybersecurity technique right we're we're just allowing you to consume it in a different way but the transition again from taxis to uber on demand and a black car if you want it you know depends on when you want you can get uberx you can get black car you can get an suv depends yeah. on what you want to spend and what you do right and so,, uh, but what that allows us to like what I, what I believe is important for a company is you know big foundational changes in a market. Um, big market already, there's a big pool of spend there. so it's and, and then also like you're not trying to force growth. It's just your, what you're doing is naturally on the wave, right. So you're growing because you're you're getting more of that transition, you know the of the revenue. so. Yeah, so definitely uh, for us, we're global. I mean, we have offices everywhere. We're growing. We have organizations from all over the world uh, transitioning to the platform quickly, and um, and then also um, just kind of expanding out our teams and working with our M S managed security providers, M S P S, right, where we partner with them and enable them to use this technology to provide services to customers. And we think we think that's important. I think ultimately at the end of the day, is there is a critical need. Like ignoring. Putting your hand to sand or um, not coming up with a plan to not wear a seatbelt while you're driving your car is like, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to get it's not going to be a good accident. if when you get a 1, right? right? Can a, can a seatbelt make make sure that you're not, you know, you're never going to die in a car. No, but you definitely want to wear a seatbelt and have airbags and have analog brakes, you know, as you're driving a car. So, we see, we see ourselves there um, and, and continue to focus on that connectivity area of the space.
0: Now, there was a, a, a decision that you made uh, a few years back to move the company's headquarters because uh, the company originated and still has a major presence in San Diego, but you decided to move the, the headquarters to Boston. So what, what prompted that decision?
1: Yeah, no, we, so we, as we grew, like we needed access to fast, more talent, faster. Like San Diego a great, actually, it's a great ecosystem for technology too, as well. I mean, lots of tech companies coming out of there, great tech companies as well. They're growing like crazy and they're also um, attracting a lot of talent. The, the challenge is that it's not, it's not a, the pool is more, you know, there's bigger pools in like the Bay Area and Boston and stuff like that, just because of the history, right? There's, uh, the volume is a little higher, right? And so, you know, for us, um, we looked at San Francisco, we looked at others, and you know, not, not I love San Francisco too, so it's not like to debate one, you know, the, the East Coast or Boston versus San Francisco or anything like that. But for us, right, we've, you know, we have no tie, we have no ties to Boston. So it's not like for myself or for Peter, or you know, there was like some family or something, and it was, a you know, so it was, I was just as new to Boston as, you know, any employee we would hire, you know, just to get to know the space and stuff, but what I, you know, what I did love about the, uh, about Boston, I actually came during the winter, because um, we were looking at the cities and stuff like that, and, um, you know, one thing I did like was uh, the focus on science, um, I, I saw that, look, it was freezing cold, I was actually walking a, across the bridge that takes you to seaport, mm-hmm. and man, that wind was like, actually, it's, it's even the, <laughs> I've been here a few years, but the, it, even when I got here, there was like nothing. It was like one building, right, at Seaport. But I was walking across the bridge. It was freezing. But you know, people were at their office, collaborating, working on problems. They were all like that. Like the snow was like the last thing on their mind. So you know, I thought like really part of like success, being successful as, as well, is to stay focused and not kind of like these distractions, whether the weather's great or not. Who cares really? You know, right. I mean, if, if the weather's the tough thing on your mind, you shouldn't be <laughs> shouldn't in this business anyway. Yeah, so so it was, it was actually pretty cool to see that. And actually, pretty quickly. Actually, one day, um, you know, I, uh, we had got this little office um, on Summer Street, mm-hmm. and as soon as it was all, it wasn't actually completely ready. It was almost ready. Uh, I, I just grabbed my bags and I and I flew and actually uh, moved into the Hyatt Regency in downtown Boston mm-hmm. and said, you know, let's go look for look for a place to to stay. But you know, um, that was the beginning. Um, you know, we haven't looked back. I mean, it's, for us, at least, it's been great. Um, it, you know, I, I think that sometimes you make some moves and stuff, right? And our investors are from New York, so like they're, they say if you're going to come to the East Coast, just come to, to go there, right? Mm-hmm. But you make some you make some choices, whether it's technology choice or anything else, sometimes they don't work out, right? But it's kind of nice, like, looking back, even if there was a little turbulence, because, you know, moving a headquarters is not easy, and it causes a little bit of turbulence, frustration, uncertainty, and stuff like that. But to look back and say, yeah, that was the right choice. So, yeah it's been it's been really for us at least uh, phenomenal. I mean it, the the quality of the people, the passion too I mean I, it's like you know the in the DNA you know so uh, but but it's also strengthened the company as a whole like across the board because we had to work with the u k as well that was really close for us, that was really nice and then even the the teams around California uh, in Orlando and Florida, like the talent itself, everyone just really You know, maybe it's the time zone as well. You know, we kept like that extra three hours uh, ahead of the West Coast, but that also helped everybody to kind of bond, work together, and really take the company, you know, to the the next level.
0: Now, an IPO doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't, you know, the the company building doesn't stop at that point. It's, you know, it's a milestone. It's a funding milestone. But it is something that is kind of like a critical, you know, point in a company's history and life cycle that it's an achievement that very few companies get to that point. And, um, you know, the, the Boston Business Journal had an article recently about, um, you know, some potential uh, thinking that iBoss could be a candidate for for an IPO at some point. So there's a lot going on at iBoss.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, here's, and the thing is, you know, for us as a company, I would say, you know, whether it's, a, let's say you're running an audit, right? ISO, we do ISO audits, SOC 1, SOC 2. I mean, these are all audits are actually... They're good. Like you shouldn't look at these things negatively. They should really, truly be like a checkpoint if you're actually doing things properly. If you're in a panic, if you're trying to, we are worried about it, like overly worried. Maybe there's something worse than the audit that's going on. Like things you should be, you should be doing and yeah. focusing on, right? And I, and I see the same for everything else. So we run, we run internally as if we were a public company, right? We're like tracking quarters, um, our financial kind of health and like the way we look at our records. I mean cleanliness of every, literally everything. We don't have to do all those things. We don't have to run through these yearly audits, we don't, financial audits and everything else. But we do them anyways, because we think it's the right thing to do, right? And so um, for us, we could be private, we could be public. It wouldn't doesn't um, necessarily change anything about how we operate. Uh, But it is, you know, obviously, you know, it's a big event, a big milestone, you know, in in a company's history. But, you know, for us, um, SaaS changes everything. The rate and our growth is just phenomenal. I mean, triple triple digit on all our net new uh, growth for net business and everything else. Size of our deals are bigger. Everything about what we're doing. And actually, our customers are like diehard. They're like, they love the platform, right? So, um, you know, it's naturally that's the progression. And, you know, we're for us, uh, you know, as we drive forward, I think it's, likely an, an inevitable thing that'll happen along the way. And and um, you know, I think that um it's also a, an exciting moment for, you know, the company's history, company's time as well.
0: So so what advice would you give to first time founders on you know hitting that point in a company's life cycle where you have to scale? Like you're in market, you're you know, you're working with you know the who's who of you know the fortune, whatever, right? It's uh so how do you how do you go about, you know, scaling a company?
1: Yeah, so we, you know, the, the way I, I look at it, similar to how I look at other things, which is, you know, you could have quality of earnings where, you, you know, you, yeah, someone may have good earnings, but you look at the numbers and it just doesn't, the way it's added, it adds up, maybe there's one deal is all of the revenue. That's not good either, right? You need to have diversity and stuff like that. But, but I think that I would say the same for scaling a company, right? There's a quality of customer and quality of product, right? You can try to shortcut it, but and, and, yeah, maybe it drives a little bit of growth in the beginning and stuff like that, but it's not sustainable. And so I think that in order to get that, you've got to win your first customer, then the second customer. And you have to focus on making sure that they're, like, it works, they're happy, and the references as well. I just ran a, a, a board meeting, not for IBOS, um, but it was across uh, CIOs and CISOs. And, you know, I, I uh, set a table and the, uh, the CISO for a large um, online one of the second largest online tickets, airline sales. I was there and he goes, oh yeah, I bought, my friend uses that, at you know, this other law firm, right? And and it kind of that word of mouth that you can only get is if what you're doing, it, it's valuable, like they actually need it. They're not just buying it because you had some board member or some friend, you know, cause that, you could, that'll get you a few deals maybe. They're doing it because they actually need it. And then they're also willing to refer it over to the next person, the next person, the next person. So we spend a lot of time focused more on the things that matter, you know, focus on the product, focus on the customer, and then also focusing on the processes. Cause I, I, do, I do think that one of the things that at least we found is people can over, or, or companies can over engineer their sales processes and marketing and like everything needs to be a bot or an automation or a tool or, you know, the foundations of people in process are the most important thing. And it's pretty funny, like, if you just go down to the basics, like, if I were to call your phone, would someone pick up? And if they did, how long would it take? If I were to submit a form on your website, seriously, like, would I get a call almost right away? Or is it going to be a blast? You know, it's funny, I've tested that on some sites. Because, and actually, the ones I've tested on are sites where you know i i influence a lot if there's technology and stuff I'm like it if, if i see something i really like i can say go i'll open budget for that go buy that and buy it buy it like now tomorrow right, right? and so I like, let me just test it i wanted to submit it as if they have a buyer that literally walked in their front door like a restaurant or a store it's, right. it's a digital store right i submit the thing no call no funk lost actually i've had somewhere i called in the and then uh the person who answered and this is for this was for like this was for like thirty thousand ACV, so like thirty thousand dollar per year contract. You know, but not bad. It's a good thing. Like, I called call the person and said, okay, we're gonna buy this, and the person says, well, no, you can't. You know, uh, do you have, you know, two thousand people? It's like, no, we're not two thousand two. It's like, well, you're not a right fit for us. Uh. It's like, we're, we're, yeah, it's like, oh, uh, no, actually, we are. We're about to buy, and you know, for, we know exactly what the product is. And so it turns out that. Um, you know, they escalate to the manager. The manager says, oh, no, no, really sorry. That's just our SDR sequence that they're supposed <laughs> to check there because that's our, our target X, Y, Z. And, of course, it, they got the deal anyway. Right. But, but the thing is, if I hadn't actually said it, I could have walked, you know, I said, oh, really? Okay, so see ya, right, go to the next thing. So I almost feel like the basic, go back to the basics, right? Like, look at the, look at you, you don't need all these tools. I mean, not to say that they're bad, but first make sure everything works and then layer on some tools. But don't over-engineer it. There's a, there's a lot of tools right you know just a lot of marketing tools, sales tools, all sorts of stuff.
0: so what 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 keeps you up at night these days?
1: You know I, I think interestingly enough is it's probably an answer that most people give or a lot of people give is is really it, you know the growth really comes down to people, right? so but but it's not just filling seats, right? because I think that that's the other for me, at least the misconception is that you know you just need to fill seats and that's the headcount and you know you put everybody in a department, you can do that. Uh, but what we found is it's not it's not only it's not only ineffective, but it's unfair as well, right? Because you got to write the find the right people that you know. So, but if you if you set the requirements properly, where it's like you want to find someone who has that particular role and fit, you find that the, the market's really and in this market it's, it's almost impossible. It's really really tight, mm-hmm. and then it's actually even harder to like keep your standards up at the same time because it's easy to say, look, given you know we that's what we want, but you know we can't really. You know, we can't. We want a Tom Brady, but you know, we can't find that. So we're just gonna, you know, settle with whatever. But I don't. I actually feel that an empty seat is better than a person, the wrong person in that seat, Mm -hmm. because there's there's also like, um, as a team, right? Like the the company, everybody's really good at their job and they want to do, and like they also like we got to be respectful of their time, right? Because I think ultimately, like I'm just an employee, right? My 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 role is to make sure that everybody gets what they need and help make everybody successful and you know, try to make the right decisions overall that's going to make sure that, that that those employees have a career path, like a real one that, you know, but I can't make the player, you know, it's, but we need to find the right players to in those seats. And so, um, so but having having um, the wrong person could be a lot of collateral damage. It could like, who knows, just all sorts of stuff could happen. Having the right person um, is phenomenal for that person and phenomenal for everyone else around. They all develop and, and it's and it's really amazing to see. So, but it definitely comes down to talent and people and it's just so competitive. That's one of the things like, I think even three years ago, you know, or, or whenever we got here to Boston, it was competitive, but it's gone from competitive to like ultra competitive, right? And a lot more, even a lot more tech companies moving in, a lot more startups. Um, and actually we, we went to financial district for our office and they're like, oh, you know, it's all banks and there's no one there. And now like even the financial district, downtown crossing is all like becoming tech for every, everything, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but you know, I nothing lasts forever, right? Like, even if you have like an, if you're trying to find a, an edge, not from technology or process, because you can find process or people and things like that. It's not going to last forever. So I think that just, for if anything, that just reaffirms that the decision is probably in the right direction at least. So, but we're going to be, we're, we're really focused on, on you know, hiring the right people, um, developing our people, training them, you know, ideally with the fundamental skill sets that you need or the, the ingredients that you need to be. They're going to be successful anyways, at whatever they do, right? But we can, we can give them really challenging problems and really cool people to work with and, and they're going to push their limits and understanding and stuff like that. And I think that that's what we can offer as well to, to those individuals that are like, they're super smart, they're super driven and they want, and they want to have an impact. You know, they want to do something that's, that's really important.
0: So you're heads down building a company. So you're uh, you got a lot, you're busy. Uh, so, but when you do have time outside of work what uh, what do you like to do?
1: You know, I, I, I live downtown still. So that's one of the things I love, <laughs> at least from the personal life is I spend, an enormous amount of time like i dedicate my life to the company right but my commute is like one minute (laughs) so Mm -hmm. i could actually go from you know even a late friday night to dinner with friends you know within the 15 minutes yeah and so uh but really really i do spend a lot of time just with friends you know and and family you know the family now that i'm here um and then also um You know, I've become a big football fan. You know, I wasn't really a big, you know, I was just too consumer with the company, you know, so big Patriots fan uh, now. So so, so I've actually been doing a lot of the, you know, I do the games. I've done quite a few games um, already. I I do, uh, we're close to TD Garden, anything from hockey, to basketball, football, uh, dinner. There's always an event, some event going on. Actually, there's even like, like what I love about Boston too, is like you can literally open your, the Boston calendar on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And just randomly, there'll be something that you're you're like, wow, I've never that seems interesting. Let me just go do that. And you're like pleasantly like, wow, that was really cool, you know. Some some whether it's like a walk or whatever, whatever's going on, you know, um, it, at the Boston Common or or something like that is is just really really a
0: lot of fun. Yeah, you picked a you know good time to move from San Diego to Boston. It's a golden era of sports. <laughs> so. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. People say like, I don't know, you uh, since you got here, we've been winning a lot. Like right.
0: go, yeah, he's like, I'm, pretty, I'm just pretty lucky, I guess, you know. The Axios um, had a stat for their the, the gentleman that heads up their sports coverage. You know, just he was covering the past decade because uh, it's kind of weird to think we're coming up to the end of a decade. But, uh, but Boston had six championships over the past 10 years. So six of those years, there was a major sports championship. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, Paul, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through all the great things you've accomplished throughout your career and, of course, uh, the growth plans ahead for iBoss.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was good talking to you. Yeah, looking forward to connecting here, uh, maybe in person here soon.
0: Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFiz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.